Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science inside podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast. Um, I'm here today with Jake Serafin, who is a financial planner of over six years experience. Jake, thank you so much for joining the show. Didi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, admittedly, this is my first experience on the podcast, so I'm appreciative of the opportunity. Well, I'm going to make sure that this goes as smoothly for you um, as humanly possible. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Um, but we, we are going to be talking today about managing our savings, about investment allocation, and just finding a healthy personal financial plan for ourselves. Um, can you, before we kind of get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So I'm uh, 29 years old. I live in a small town of Middleburg, Virginia, which is about an hour outside of Washington, D.C. and horse and wine country. Uh, born and raised out here. Uh, at one point after school, I was out in Arlington, Virginia, closer towards D.C. for my first job out of school. But when uh, the pandemic hit, like a lot of folks, I uh, moved back home and out towards the country and uh, ended up buying this little townhouse here that I'm doing this podcast from and uh, took a new job with a new firm in the same role as a financial planner. And I've been with that firm for about a year. And uh, as a financial planner, I assist clients with all sorts of personal financial considerations, whether that's helping them with budgeting and cash flow or investments or insurance needs or analyzing ways to reduce taxes or looking at uh, estate considerations as well. Mm, you don't look a day older than 25, can I just say? <laughs> Well, you know, um, I try to keep the uh, keep the appearances for the older the older clock, but you know, of course, of course, um, <laughs> no problem. Um, we we before we kind of move on um, to kind of our main topic for today, we've got a segment called "Have You Met Have You Met Jake Serafin," where I ask you a few quick questions, um, and they're very easy questions to answer. Um, are you happy to take them? Yes, especially if they're easy. <laughs> for sure all right what is your favorite book favorite book um well it is cliche but i literally did grow up with the harry potter books as far as you know i was the same age as harry and so as you're going through each volume in each book each chapter in his life it was like a new chapter in your life as well and the the language in which it matured over the years of the writing as you know as the reader's target audience matured um was certainly great and i i I think the last one was the quickest book that I ever read in, in less than a week or something like that. So while it may be cliche, uh, I definitely enjoyed fiction more than nonfiction. And I mean, it's Harry Potter. I mean, come on. And so I guess in the uh, in the nonfiction space, my brother gave me a book recently called. Um, is it called actually? Oh <laughs> uh, yes, the the body keeps the score. Um, it's about trauma and victims of trauma and how that affects them. Uh, physically as far as their mind and body um, and a little bit of the history of uh, the psychotherapy and uh, examining different uh, methods of and 
avenues of treatment as well and how that's advanced over time. It's been an interesting read so far. Yeah, two books for the price of one. I'm also I'm also a big Harry Potter fan. I remember um, uh, get, waiting on the day the seventh book came out to go and get a copy. I was like, drag yeah. my parents to the bookstore <laughs> to make sure they got one for me um, very vividly. But yeah. Absolutely. Um, what about um, a favorite movie? Favorite movie? Well, um, gosh, I'm a I'm a big movie guy. I, I really enjoy movies, both uh, old and new, including, you know, my, my dad loves black and white Western cowboy movies. And so I, I'm partial to that all the way up to, you know, animation or what have you. So maybe not favorite, but I'm pretty sure I could recite every word to Shrek by by heart. Um, I mean, it's it's a great, great movie, great comedy and also has those uh those motifs about friendship and, and love in there as well. So, I mean, it's a classic. It is a classic. No, I agree. I'm with you. Shrek 2 is actually my favorite movie. Um, so <laughs> I do prefer the sequel, I think, to the original. But yeah. yeah, I prefer the original, but I do think people sleep on Shrek 2. I think it is an underrated flick. It is. It is. It's one of those times where the sequel, they got the sequel right. Yes. In the minority times. That's right. Um, what about a podcast you've been listening to lately? So I don't necessarily consume podcasts in the long form, but I do more clips on YouTube. But to that end, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, Huberman Lab, uh, Chris Williamson, um, Jordan Peterson, Simon Sinek, Gary Vaynerchuk. These are all people that I've found to be uh, influential in my, uh, in my thought process, if you will. Right, right, right. Cool. Um, and uh, what about a famous role model you've looked up to? Um, I would have to say, well, there's there's certainly many, but as far as a famous one, I would certainly be remiss if I didn't say my, my parents personally. But as far as a famous, uh, I would probably say Kobe Bryant. Um, I've been a lifelong LA Lakers fan my whole life, but have no attachment or to that area whatsoever. It was just watching him play at an early age was a, was a big impact on that. And uh, seeing his his drive and his dedication and his focus and his work ethic and his relentlessness. But then also with interviews, he was very pensive and very thoughtful and you know well-spoken. And that, that sort of combination of that, like fire on the inside, but sort of polish and refinement on the outside, I thought was a very, uh, something to aspire to, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think anyone's mentioned Kobe Bryant quite yet. We've had, we've had Michael Jordan and I think we've had LeBron, but I'm not sure but, anyone's mentioned Kobe Bryant. Yeah. I mean, neither are slouches in their own. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I heard uh, you had someone, um, what uh, was his name? Uh, Brendan, I guess, saw previously. He was also in the uh, financial services industry. Yeah, yeah. I saw Brendan. that you mentioned Michael Jordan. So yes, um, he did. He did. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's something to that about the this industry that we work in and the the tie-in. But who knows? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, what about um, the last course that you completed? The last course that I completed. Uh, so I've slowly but surely working towards obtaining the uh, accredited state planner designation through the American College. And to that end, I took a course last year on executive compensation that included things such as uh, 
stock bonus plans and stock options, as well as uh, deferred compensation and other things of that nature. Okay, cool. Well, we are going to um, move on from that now that we've gotten to know you <laughs> into our topic of the day, uh, which is about managing our savings and investment allocations um, for a healthy financial plan. Um, so I guess I wanted to start very broadly. Our show is about personal development. How do you define personal development? So I think about personal development in the sense of self-actualization in that I think it's about the sense of fulfillment that comes along with knowing that you are doing something productive towards realizing your potential. And that's something that is subjective to everybody in terms of, you know, it's very easy for whether it's parental influence or media or what have you to seep into your sense of value and identity. But to me, part of personal development and self-actualization is staying true to yourself in that sense, in that whatever that means to you, whatever you feel you're destined to be in this life, whatever you feel your capabilities and potentials are, and what you're passionate about and want to pursue, you know, staying true to that to whatever end and for yourself and not for, you know, the perception of others, I think is, uh, is paramount in that. Yeah, figuring out, I guess, the formula almost that's right for you um, and not what's kind of other people tell you is right for you, if that makes sense. It's tough, you know, I have a, a list of, at the beginning of the year, I made a list of like the man that I want to be in 2023, right? And one of those items was comparing myself only against the younger version of myself. And I think so many of us get caught up in this struggle of comparing ourselves versus the Joneses or Instagram or what have you, when it brings this sense of, of stress and perhaps even guilt about not measuring up, so to speak. And I think that that is really a hindrance to personal development as far as, like I said before, you know, staying true to your path, so to speak. For sure. I guess that kind of brings me to my next question, which is, what do you find are the main challenges in personal development? Well, I think when it comes to anything that involves personal growth, I think the, one of the biggest challenges is going to be just that discipline and that focus. And perhaps even also um, maintaining that visualization of that future, better version of yourself as far as maintaining that belief and that it is in fact achievable and having that end goal you know, visually on your mind as far as what that looks like and maintaining that belief, if you will. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it does come back to the work ethic. Um, Nick Saban is an incredibly successful football coach for the University of Alabama, and he has a phrase that's very bare bones, something along the lines of, you know, it's not, it's not how bad you was something, it's how hard you're willing to work in order to obtain it. And I think at the end of the day, that's just a fundamental truth when it comes to our, our personal development. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's very true. Um, I guess I don't know how to segue neatly from that into kind of talking about savings. Um, but my next question for you is, how would you define savings? So when we think about savings, I guess I would put it to the audience 
as far as in yourself as well, whether it's, are we being intentional? Are we mm-hmm. being systematic? Is there some sort of automated process in place? Or are we just letting cash accumulate in our bank accounts because it wasn't spent? And so I think, you know, thinking about savings as far as that intentionality is certainly a big piece of that versus, you know, things just happening by by happenstance, if you will, or by accident versus being deliberate about uh, some sort of saving strategy. And that's certainly something that I work with clients with as far as there's you know, different considerations with regards to tax implications or first and foremost, just formulating some sort of budget as far as understanding on a basic level cash flow, money in, money out, and what there is available to save if in fact there is and what the best, most efficient means of, of utilizing those savings are versus if there is in fact a deficit where we're having to, whether it's subsidized with loans or what have you to make ends meet every month or withdrawals from accounts, you know, how do we go about slowly but surely sort of right-sizing that ship, if you will. So I guess when you say that it's kind of, the intention is kind of behind it, um, do, do you think that savings need to exist for a specific reason? Or is that is 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 that kind of what, or am I misunderstanding? Well, I think it goes back to your question about personal development and that it's it's certainly subjective to the individual, right? And so, um, you know, save it's to what end I would pose with with the savings as far as perhaps someone is living an absolutely minimalist lifestyle where, you know, whatever sort of means of income they have cover their expenses, but no extra. And that's, in you know, setting aside an X amount per month is perhaps not as feasible for them versus... If someone has grander ambitions of, you know, early retirement, for example, you know, that's not something that's just going to happen on its own. It requires a strategy and, dare I say, a a plan to get there. Um, I almost think about it, and this is a slightly different take on it as far as if you think about going to the gym. Some people go to the gym because they're um, dissatisfied or unhappy with their physique and they want to transform the aesthetic, but there are certainly plenty of other people that go to the gym simply out of wanting to live a uh, healthy and an active lifestyle. And the aesthetic comes sort of as the byproduct of that. And whether you fall into one of those two camps or sort of emerge of both, I think there can be, and there's a an analogy there as far as your your personal finances, as far as whether it's saving and accumulating to be able to enjoy that for your own benefit in the future, or whether it's a little bit of that ego stroke by seeing that balance go up and seeing that dollar amount go up, you know, they're still both beneficial to you. It's not necessarily our place to judge one or the other as having more merit because in the end, they're both beneficial to the ultimate goal. For sure. And how, how do you feel that savings in particular affects our personal development? And I would, I would assume this is I guess having, you know, a considerable amount of savings as opposed to um, less so. So I really think it, it hits on that on that previous point as far as, you know, there's the the personal satisfaction of seeing the accounts grow over time and feeling that as some sort of attachment to personal growth and development. But there's also the sense of, you know, 
systematic automated savings that are deliberate towards some sort of future goal or objective is, is a form of self-love in a sense of it's, you know, how do we going to obtain this so that we don't down the road have some sort of frustration or disappointment or resentment about how things are versus how they could have been. And, you know, how do we preserve the ideal of what our future life should be for ourselves? Yeah, for sure. In that case, what are kind of some of the difficulties in in kind of... I'll start with savings and then we can kind of talk about investments a little bit later. What are the difficulties in managing your savings in, in your sure. experience working with people um, over the years? So it, it depends on the demo for sure as far as the issues for people our age versus people our parents are certainly different. I would say for our age... Um, a big part of it is actually going through some sort of budget template. You know, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of out there to to sort from. But the end idea of just having a somewhat firm sense of what the money in money out is on, say, a monthly basis or even a weekly basis, but at least a, a monthly basis, and that is sort of the basis from which you can devise a saving strategy. You can't say, okay, I'm going to save five hundred dollars a month if you don't have $500 a month to save, right? Or, you know, perhaps you have set that arbitrary goal of $500 a month when in reality, your lifestyle could afford still for you to be saving, you know, maybe two or three times that amount, especially if you have, you know, grander um, goals and objectives in the future as far as what that's to be utilized for. And so, that's certainly um, ground one, your ground zero, if you will, is, is getting that sense of that cash flow. Um, and then from there, you know, it really is also, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to work in this industry, right, where, frankly, I'm checking my investment accounts every day because I'm curious about the markets anyways, and I want to know what's going on and what have you. But someone who's not so inclined, you know, it takes more of a concerted effort to build some sort of habit or routine to where you're able to orchestrate and design things where that's incorporated into your life in some form or fashion. So for example, if you're working, you know, the nine to five, taking that one hour on the Sunday morning to, to review your accounts or, you know, or pay bills or what have you, review your personal finances. Or similarly, if you're working, say, in not such a traditional environment, still budgeting not your finances, but your time so that you can budget your finances, if you will. Um, it's, it's not... It's not inherent, right? It's not natural for someone who's not thinking about those sorts of things. But that's what makes it all the more important to sort of artificially manufacture that into your um, your habits, if you will. Yep, that's. I guess that kind of lends to what you were saying about intention earlier. But I think I think a lot of people aren't kind of paying attention to their finances, and I'm sure there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, uh, financial anxiety comes to mind. I know people can suffer from that quite a bit. Um, but also, you know, <laughs> growing up in school, I don't know about the US, but here in Australia, like we are kind of given this we're approached by one of the big four banks uh, and they kind of help us set up a youth saver account and then it's set up and then we don't have to think about it anymore. Um, and that's kind of it. Like we don't kind of grow up having a habit of thinking about finances and checking them and knowing how to monitor them and knowing what to do with our savings accounts. 
Certainly, I would say um, the school system, the public school system here in the States is um, is very much lagging in that regard as well, as far as there are some states that now have some sort of basic personal financial literacy as part of the required curriculum for high school. But there are many states where that is still not the case. And uh, to your point, you know, it, we really do a disservice that I would say of my personal opinion to you know, so many that are, you know, not necessarily going on a secondary education after school and, you know, we're in there out in the workplace and, you know, it's, it's the real world, so to speak. And there's been, I would say, inadequate training for those circumstances when it comes to things like personal finances. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, like the kind of challenge with just some people just get very stressed out checking uh, their accounts because they're not sure they're going to like what they see. Yeah, there's so that goes back to the idea of of you know personal development is subjective and unique, right? And not allowing ourselves to get in that trap of the, the comparisons, right? Only against the prior, younger, more less wise, immature, you know, versions of ourselves to where. You know, that's certainly a more healthy approach to and lens to look through that at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I want to talk now about investments and allocating investments. So one, what are investments? <laughs> Give us kind of the very basic lowdown. If you were going to explain it to a complete layman who was doing this for the first time, um, what are they? How do you define them? Sure. So an investment is what I would consider something that has a reasonable expectation of a positive return over time. When I think of investments just in my line of work, I think of stocks, I think of bonds, I think of mutual funds and ETFs, um, which are essentially just uh, pooled, you know, fractional shares of individual stocks and individual bonds to comprise those mutual funds and ETFs. That's the universe that I deal mostly in. I'm not so well versed in say commercial real estate or private equity or some things of this nature that those certainly all fall under the broad category definition of an investment. Um, but certainly, you know, the more sophisticated and nuanced the investment vehicle, the more research and due diligence is required and does not necessarily always equate to a higher return just because it's a more nuanced or sophisticated uh, vessel. Absolutely. Um, very stupid question, but I thought I might this ask it just so that we're very clear about it. Investments, are they taking money out of your account or adding to it? And how does that change from the short term to the long term? Well, in theory, the day of there would be a, a zero change as far as if $500 leaves your bank account and your checking account isn't deposited into your investment account. Well, as far as your assets and net worth, that's a, that's a wash, right? And so, and then in theory, over time, the investment portfolio is going to earn a higher interest rate than what you would receive on the cash in the bank account. And so, that's really that's the one of the core tenants is you know, understanding that concept, fundamentally understanding the value of time, value of money and compounding interest and what you can do to benefit yourself by 
developing those good habits and setting up some sort of systematic automated saving strategy um, early on. Um, I guess what are the difficulties in kind of managing your investments and, and or even like entering um, the investment you. space? Sure. So I think one of the biggest um, considerations is time horizon. As far as we have to understand what these funds are to be ultimately utilized for. Um, if we are going to need to have full access to these funds in six months from now, and we cannot afford to lose any principal between now and then, well, naturally, that's going to affect the type of investment that you are invested in versus um, if we know that we have a 30-year time horizon, say, until retirement, and we know that we're not going to touch these funds between now and then, well, certainly that's going to affect the uh, investment allocation as well. And just to go just simply one step further, the latter scenario there is going to be more oriented towards stocks and mutual funds that are invested predominantly, if not exclusively, in stocks versus the former where we need um, principal protection or, or we need to access the funds in a short period of time are going to lend itself more to something safer, such as, say, a bond. For sure, for sure. Um, how... And this is going to be a big question. How do you manage your savings and your investments and all of that cash flow in a way that works for you? Sure. So, given it's a bit that's a bit personal, I'll give the personal answer. And I wouldn't say that this is what I would prescribe for everybody necessarily, but I would say that this is what works for me is that um, on the 1st and 15th is also when, when my paychecks come in. I'm a fully, fully salaried employee. Um, that's also when I deposit into my investment account, my brokerage account. Um, it's it's automated, it's systematized, and um, frankly, that way, it's, it's just to an extent out of my hands. Um, I keep a an emergency fund of cash, which I recommend individuals do as well if they're able to, or to be able to slowly build that up over time. Uh, an industry standard is usually about at least three months of living expenses saved up in cash reserves. Um, is something that is uh, certainly encouraged. Um, to that end, also with regards to how it's invested, again, that goes back to questions of not only time horizon, but certainly also risk tolerance as far as even if we don't need to touch these funds for 30 years, but in an event like 08 happens where the U.S. stock market S&P 500 was down approximately 40%, some people just can't stomach that as far as even if they have no need or intention of touching the money the fact that they saw that it was once one value and then that it dropped to a value that was almost half as much is just too much of a shock to the system. And so that's certainly something to be cognizant of. And if you're not working with a professional advisor, you know, possessing that self-awareness and searching yourself as far as, you know, what's going to be appropriate investment based on your risk tolerance and your time horizon. For myself, my individual portfolio is invested almost exclusively in stocks. Uh, I own mostly individual stocks as well as some mutual funds and ETFs. Um, but that is given my time horizon investment 
or risk tolerance, excuse you, and objectives of this is not something that I'm looking to tap, um, certainly not at least for the next three to five years. And so with that, I'm willing to accept the risk that comes with that as far as potential fluctuations in value between now and then, uh, ultimately with the goal of hoping to uh, to have long-term growth in the account. Yeah, I guess I kind of, that was kind of going to be my next question, which is that, you know, um, you referenced 08, but we're kind of going through a bit of a inflation crisis at the moment as well, um, I think globally. How do people kind of negotiate and, and, and manage for disasters if, if they don't have that kind of knowledge? Uh, what's kind of, I guess, a very simple thing that they can keep in mind um, when kind of trying to account for financial <laughs> I guess, disasters, recessions, um, mini recessions. I'm afraid I don't know the proper financial terminology for all of the, the bad things that can happen in the financial world. Um, but I'm sure they'll come up at some point within the next few years. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so I guess once again, stressing that emergency fund as far as you know whether there is some sort of catastrophic health event or a loss of job or what have you, just being able to have some sort of buffer or cushion um, and that, I guess, sort of goes back to having at least some sort of broad sense of what your expenses are as far as being able to calculate three months off of that value. Um, the, the high inflation environment leads to a couple of different opportunities as far as at least here in the U.S. Um, what we've seen as actions of the Federal Reserve to combat inflation has been a... Uh, a drastic rise in the uh, target uh, rate as far as the federal funds rate, as far as the interest rate. And so it's risen about approximately 5% here in the last 12 months or so. And what that has allowed for is a, a situation where um, short-term U.S. treasuries, which once may not have been such a viable investment vehicle given the yield and rates, are now uh, extremely attractive to where you can potentially pick up a short-term U.S. Treasury that yields in, say, somewhere between six to 18 months that's going to earn, if held until maturity, somewhere between four and a half and five percent. That's something that, frankly, two or three years ago just wasn't on the market. It wasn't uh, viable given circumstances, but as circumstances change, you know, uh, investment options become more or less attractive. So that's one example of um, what is a result of an inflationary environment. Another example that I would say to that end is um, perhaps examining stocks that have a rising dividend every year. So a stock's return is in two pieces. One of it is just the price appreciation of the stock over time is trading at $50, now it's trading at $60, $10 of gain. But there's another component of the stock called the dividend where periodically it pays interest income out to the holder of that stock. And so in theory, if the dividend is paying, but the dividend increase is in excess of the rate of inflation, then in theory, you're still staying above water as far as a real return there and an effective hedge against inflation for the long term. So the, uh, the company that I work for uh, certainly has a bit of a focus on individual stocks that have a history of uh, above market dividends and rising dividends, uh, hopefully rising at a rate greater than the rate of inflation. Yep. 
So a lot, I guess, for people to keep in mind um, uh, for the future. Um, final, final question of the segment. How do you begin to make a financial plan for yourself? What are some of the things that you need to keep in mind to help create something that works for you? That's a great question. Um, I, I would encourage people whenever possible to at least consult with an industry professional, if not work with someone, uh, full, full out. But I certainly appreciate that that's not necessarily viable for everybody as far as being able to, uh, afford the services of a, of a financial planner or financial advisory, what have you. To that end, I would suggest that the industry has become much more innovative over time with regards to trying to meet the needs of people in different targets, demographics, and not just baby boomers that are in retirement or, or looking to retire in the next handful of years. There are different uh, service and fee models that are out there now as far as not just charging you a percentage of the assets that you give, because that's, that's a big part of the space is, um, say, charging 1% of the account that you give someone else to manage. But often for those companies to have viable, you know, and revenue that is going to generate profit, they usually have to have minimums on the size of the account, say $250,000 or $500,000 or a million dollars or what have you. Um, and that's that was traditionally the fee model for the industry. But in more recent years, there have been all sorts of alternative and hybrid uh, fee structures that have come into the marketplace, including sort of more what I would describe as like a retainer fee schedule where not so dissimilar to say a lawyer, you're paying someone or a subscription fee, you're paying someone a fixed dollar amount on a monthly or semi, semi-annual annual basis for essentially unlimited access to that professional to be your financial planner advisor and be able to counsel you through all different elements of your uh, personal financial considerations. And so, um, having said that, if someone is still unable to find a professional that meets their needs and meets their, their budget, if you will, there are certainly all sorts of DIY and self-help tools available. You know, Google is an amazing resource. Um, I haven't quite fully delved into chat GPT and, and open AI, but there are certainly potentially some, uh, some ways to go about some self-help there as well. Uh, as I mentioned before, you know, budget templates are abound. And I really do think that is sort of the the first building block, if you will, is having that at least somewhat firm sense of cash flow. And then being able, from there, you can have, you can operate, right? From there, you can say, okay, well, I've got some excess savings here. How do I best utilize that? Or, you know, actually, I'm kind of running up my credit card debt every month to to make ends meet here, you know, and then and then you can establish a plan of action accordingly. But I do think that cash flow planning is is a good building block for people that are especially trying to uh, to do it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to hear that. I guess the industry as well, um, the financial planning industry, is diversifying and kind of in order to help more people. Um, I think that that's always a positive change, um, especially. I mean cost of living crisis aside, I, I think the general financial literacy worldwide is quite low. Um, so any kind of accessibility to the ability to plan financially is always better than none. 
Yeah, and that goes both ways as far as I am a CFP, a certified financial planner. And there's frankly not um, a ton of CFPs that are my age, but there are certainly many industry professionals that are that are our age. And what you find is that they don't necessarily want to be working with people that they can't relate to at all, right? As far as they would prefer to be working with their peers, so to speak. And so that to an extent has helped birth this as well as far as these alternative fee models is the professionals themselves would prefer to work with you know, their peers more so than people that say resemble their parents or their grandparents. Absolutely. That's very true. Uh, all right. That's the end of, uh, I guess, uh, the main segment of our show. We now have a section called the practice slash habit experiment debrief, where we learn about how we can put a lot of what we discussed into practice. So Jake, did you have a practice that you have personally done or would like to recommend to our, I guess, uh, to our audience, sorry, um, on how to manage your savings? I would go back to the gym analogy as far as if you, you know, any personal trainer will tell you that starting out, it's not about the amount of weight, right? It's about the form and the fundamentals. And I think that's incredibly applicable to our conversation here as far as, you know, we were talking about comparisons as well and people thinking like, well, what's the point? And it's like, no. And there's no such thing as too small an amount as far as establishing those good habits, right? And so even if it's just, a month even, but having that automatic, right, systematized where it's just, you're not even thinking about it, it's leaving the account, it's it's being invested in something that's in theory over the long term, going to earn a higher rate of interest than what it would in the bank account. Um, So that's really the the theme that I would stress there that it's, you know, don't, don't think about the dollar amount and don't try to do it as, you know, been whatever, letting my cash reserve build up to X and now I'm going to let dump half of it into the market. Right. And it's like, well, what if the market, you know, immediately tanks thereafter as far as, so I really would just stress that I had that notion of recurring routine, you know, every month. And there's a, there's a, um, a, this is a technique called dollar cost averaging that I'll let the viewers look into more after, uh, this session, but essentially describes that, that concept in greater detail. Right, right. Um, so what are kind of, I guess, the challenges um, with dollar cost averaging? Because it does seem like this kind of thing should be pretty easy, um, especially, you know, with online and app banking that kind of just automates a lot of your payments to, you know, your savings account or your um, uh, various different kind of assets that you have. What, what are kind of the challenges that people might face? Uh, all sorts of challenges. One may be the ego, as far as if they're DIY people and they're they're trading their accounts. Um, you know, I read a quote today that was pretty great. That was saying, you know, it's kind of like when you're in a, a traffic jam and you change lanes, thinking it's going to get you to your destination quicker. When in fact, it doesn't. There's a trade. There's an analogy there with regards to trading uh, in your investment account, right? As far as some people that maybe think they know better than the market, so to speak, or know better than, than anybody for that matter, um, you know, perhaps perform in some um, off-base day trading or some speculative investments or what have you, and end up losing their head on it as opposed to just kind of staying the course more so, so to speak, and uh, sticking to that routine of, 
you know, regardless of whether the market is up or down, it's the 15th of the month, time to deposit some money into the account, right? It's, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so kind of just sticking to um, the plan, essentially, that you've created for yourself. It's exactly um, right. And it certainly I, helps to work with a professional to sort of stick on track and have a helping hand that kind of guides you to, you know, if nothing else, just support, right, as far as someone to, because it's not, it's not on everyone's, as you mentioned earlier, it's not a, a top priority or a top consideration, but certainly, you know, we don't want people down the road to be remiss that they, that they had the feeling that they couldn't have done more, if you will. Absolutely. Um, how do you feel like this practice impacts your personal life or your perception in life? So that is going to be a question that's unique to the individual as far as the prioritization of you know, monies, frankly, and as far as accumulating assets and building their net worth and to what end. You know, some people have absolutely no such desires or ambitions. And if they can live in a hovel out in the desert, you know, and uh, be at peace, you know, and, and by all means, you know, that's that's wonderful. I think to your point about personal development, you know, I guess my answer was self-actualization to whatever end. Um, but, but for many people that end goal that end destination is something that um is not just going to manifest without some sort of action as far as you know the things that we've discussed here throughout this podcast and so i think that that's an important consideration is that you know the bigger and larger your ambitions and are and your goals and objectives the harder the work is going to be and the more you have to sacrifice right and so just understanding that trade-off as far as, you know, where you want to go, where you are and where you want to be and what's going to be required to help you get there. And I mean, even if you're living, maybe not in a hovel in a desert, but perhaps a, a simple life, you, there's still a certain amount of financial, like you still have to look at your finances and manage those. So it's not, if you're not working with a lot, you still have to figure out what to do with them and, and how to, how to, Maybe not. Maybe if you don't want to increase it, at least you need to know how to use it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, there's whether it's a a thousand dollars or or a thousand million dollars. There's still considerations to be had and uh, issues to address in ways that you can optimize the approach. Uh, kind of based on, I guess, your experience, do you have any kind of other kind of practices or habits that you would recommend in combination with this one? Um, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's that's a difficult question to answer. But what I would say is that from my experience in working in this industry, it's very helpful and useful to be operating from a comprehensive picture as far as what I tell new clients when they come on board. You know, if you go to a new doctor for the first time, um, they're going to be sure before they prescribe anything or make any sort of diagnosis that they understand your prior medical history, any prescriptions you're currently on, everything of that nature. And so, you know, what I would pose to individuals is that while I can respect the issue of privacy and privacy concerns and perhaps not wanting to share more than what you're willing to share with uh, your financial advisor or planner or what have you, 
it really does make a difference as far as the value that that individual can provide when they have the full sense of the picture. Because for instance, say um, you have an account um, with, a, with another advisor and you have an account with me. Well, as a fiduciary, I only care about your composite mix of all your different investments, not just the ones that I manage, right? And so if I know that your account somewhere else is being managed like ABC, well, maybe I wouldn't have your account with me managed like XYZ, but rather DEF as a, as a hypothetical there. And so right. that's something that I would encourage people to always keep in mind is that that comprehensive holistic picture versus just trying to keep things in isolated silos. Sure. Do you have, I'm curious now, and this is totally not within um, the, <laughs> the the section at all, but Good. do you have, do you have clients kind of, uh, you know, withhold information from you or perhaps even like lie about their kind of um, financial history or even just their portfolio in general? So I wouldn't say lying or if so, I wasn't, I'm not aware. <laughs> okay. But, I haven't caught um, anyone yet. Yeah, I haven't caught anyone yet. That's right. But certainly, um, there will, there's reluctance, and it and it still be forthright with it. I've had one just just last week or two weeks ago, frankly, where he was, we were showing him this tool which allows him to essentially link all of his accounts from outside institutions via just sort of entering in his credentials, and it sort of scrapes and pulls in all the accounts of this aggregator tool that we use. And he was just pretty point blank and saying, you know, I'm not quite sure if I'm willing to uh, to to share that with you guys. As far as you know, the, he said the money that we've given you to invest is only but a piece of our of our total pie, if you will. And I ran him through that exact same uh, description as I did just did with you. As far as listen, I can certainly appreciate the privacy concerns, but you know, in acting as a fiduciary, it really does benefit us and the sort of advice offering that we can provide if we're aware of all the different moving pieces. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, all right, well, our next segment, um, thank you so much once for sharing both that story and also um, uh, a practice that people can take home and work with. Our next segment is called Questions from the Audience. I guess we can call that last question a question from the host. <laughs> um, <laughs> on Wait, who else is on this? <laughs> um, uh, but uh, are you happy to take some um, audience questions? Sure. Fantastic. Um, so I guess the first question, um, which is something we've already discussed, but it might be worded slightly different to the way that I brought it up is, what are some of the ways that people can protect their savings and investments from infl inflation? Um, I guess we, we talked about, you know, sticking with the plan, but we didn't really talk about protection, which I'm assuming is trying to avoid them being as affected by things like inflation. So, you know, that's, that is pretty difficult as far as there is not, you know, one, one human does not have the ability to affect the, you know, overarching powers of, of nationwide economic inflation. Um, I think the best thing to do is just to be able to try to to manage around it as as best you can. As far as the um, the interest rates in most bank accounts are are not keeping up with the increase in the rate of inflation, and so while we still want to have that emergency fund, you know, above and beyond that, looking at whatever sort of vehicles we can that can earn a higher interest rate to sort of keep up with inflation, if you will, 
Uh, I brought up short-term treasuries earlier as a sort of safe, stable investment that can kind of help accommodate that. Um, really looking at at personal spending habits as far as examining what sort of things that you're spending money on have been most affected by inflation and perhaps looking at substitutes or replacements or just eliminating those purchases altogether uh, are some useful uh, means to combat inflation. Absolutely. Um, the third, uh, sorry, not the third, the second question, <laughs> got ahead of myself there, um, is uh, what uh, is it a benefit to diversify your investments? Certainly. Um, I went, gosh, that's a, you could, I could get real messy with that answer, but uh, essentially what you find is that if you just have one stock versus a basket of stocks, the return is not necessarily drastically affected so much as the reduction in risk. So say, um, you know, one stock may on its own have an average annual return of 10%, but a what we would call standard deviation of the potential swing any given year of say maybe plus or minus 30%. So you could be looking at a plus 40 or minus 30 return any given year as a hypothetical, for example, versus the effects of diversification. Um, and again, this is a real math answer, but just to keep it simple is when you bundle you know, a series of stocks or a portfolio of stocks and bonds together, in, you know, in theory, the potentially the rate of return may go down as far as not being able to experience such highs on the high side. But from a risk-adjusted return perspective, as far as when you take that standard deviation or that variability or volatility into consideration, there certainly is a lot to be benefited from a diversified portfolio. Um, something that that's a topic that's extremely relevant to that is something called the sequence of returns risk. As far as when clients get older, where they need to start withdrawing money from their accounts and their portfolio versus contributing to it anymore. Um, it's incredibly paramount to be in a position where you're diversified at that point because to be more protected from market fluctuations. Um, if you look at a 10-year time horizon of um, just annual returns over a 10-year period, but you run them otherwise in reverse order. So the same average annual, but the year by year is in different orders. What you'll find is the, the ending value results there with the same starting value can be extremely different depending on the sequence in which those returns occurred on a year by year basis. And so to that end, you never want to be in a situation where you have a down 20, down 30% year in the first year in which you're starting to take withdrawals from your portfolio. Um, if you have $100 and you lose 50%, you have $50 left. But if that 50% earns 50% the following year, you're not back to $100, right? You're only at $100. You had to get, earn 100% the following year just to get back to break even, let alone getting ahead from there. And so certainly that's the value of diversification, especially for those that anticipate to have some sort of income need from the portfolio. Um, and the next question is, what percentage of my income should I be placing into investments? Is there a magic number, I guess, is my follow-up question to that. Yeah, no, there, there isn't. Um, I would say, I guess I've already mentioned for an emergency fund, uh, three, three months is generally considered a good minimum amount, three to six months for of living expenses saved in cash. 
Um, I always encourage clients to take advantage of the retirement plans offered through their workplace as far as many plans offer some sort of match by the employer. And so if you're not contributing at least up until the match amount, you're sort of leaving free money on the table, so to speak. Right. Um, beyond that, you know, I'm not familiar with uh, Australian uh, tax laws versus American, but there are certainly at that point, you know, deciding to whether to save into an IRA or a Roth IRA versus a uh, what I would call a brokerage account, just a taxable investment account. Those are all on a, on a specific case by case basis. And it doesn't really equate necessarily to a percentage of income. Uh, it's really based on just that that cash flow picture as far as, you know, what if I what if it was 10% of your income, but you really could afford to save 30% of your income without it affecting your lifestyle at all. It's like, well, why wouldn't you, especially if you have grander ambitions for the life that you want down the road? And so, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't catapult it or uh, connected to a fixed dollar amount or a fixed percentage so much as, you know, at least three months in, in cash and uh, an emergency fund, utilize employer match for your workplace retirement if available. And then from there, you know, once you've gone through that, those two looking at that budget, you know, any sort of excess savings and some sort of uh, whether tax preferential account or just a brokerage account. Sure. We have, I guess we have a global audience. So those who are listening from the US um, will definitely like have a lot to take from that. Um, for context, and my knowledge is not as good as it should be on this topic. Um, I believe the way it works in Australia is that we have a super fund, um, which is essentially um, uh, a investment fund that will uh employer pays a certain percentage on top of our wage too um, and then they will invest that in stocks and it's supposed to go towards um, we can only access it in retirement i believe um, you can also voluntarily add more to your super fund as well um, from your own kind of bank account um, but your employer for the most part is meant to pay a certain percentage um, to wow. it as well and it's usually quite a small percentage um, but it is uh, mostly required under most awards. So yeah, I guess that's kind of for context, the way it works in Australia. We've got listeners from elsewhere that I cannot speak <laughs> for how um, it would work over there, but that's what we've got going here. Well, I guess just to wrap it up on savings, you know, there certainly has been a trend over time away from in America, um, pensions provided by private companies used to be certainly much more prevalent as far as uh, the onus was not quite so much on the individuals to save for their own retirement, but now that focus has totally shifted to where the onus is predominantly on the individual, not the employer, to be able to save for their own retirement. So that just uh, highlights the importance of some of these topics that we've addressed that much more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's the end of um, the questions from the audience. Thank you so much for answering them. Um, we now have our open mic segment where I let you um, have your own soapbox and let you have a mini TED talk for a few minutes um, on anything that you felt was important to address to kind of close out the show. Was there something that you wanted to talk about? Gosh, I mean, we've covered so much. We have, um, we have. You know, I would just say that stressing the importance of the individual 
and that self-awareness and each one searching themselves as to what their goals and objectives are and what that personal development and self-actualization looks like to them, not to anyone else or anyone else's uh, or their expectations from others or what have you, but staying true to themselves and, um, you know, systematically saving every month, whether it's, you know, just in a smaller amount. I think that part is subjective as far as what our ideal version of ourselves looks like to ourselves. But what is objective is that this idea of, you know, taking care of ourselves, right? And sort of trying to put ourselves in as good a position as possible for, for, you know, our future selves. And so to that end, um, you know, those are some things that I would want to, uh, harp on from our, from our conversation today. Absolutely. Self-care comes in so many different forms. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Jake, where can members of our audience find you? They can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Jake Serafin. Uh, I also have personal profiles on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find my company, Steigerwald, Gordon and Coke, uh, sgkwealthadvisors.com. There will be a link to my bio in there as well, as well as uh, content that we regularly put on our blog that I am uh, one of the principals as far as uh, creating that content. So that's uh, all the platforms that I'm on. Thank you so much. Um, We will have a lot of those links uh, in our description um, for anyone from our audience if you want to check out. Um, But thank you so much uh, for joining me today. I've learned so much uh, from our conversation. Aditi, thank you so much for this opportunity and I really appreciate your time. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Take care. You've been listening to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can also be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kutti. Thanks for tuning in.